Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Well, hello there and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm Nurse Mo, and if this is your first time here, I am super excited that you're joining me today. And if you've been a fan for a while, welcome back. I'm so happy to see you too. So today we're going to be diving into maternal newborn with a pretty complex and kind of fascinating condition called amniotic fluid embolism. Now, before we do that, I want to take a quick moment and give a shout out to Cheryl. And Cheryl wrote in to say this. Hi, Nurse Mo. I'm in a one-year accelerated nursing program, and I just took my first exam. It was in pharmacology, and I scored 100%. I absolutely give credit to your podcast, boot camp, and study sesh for helping me get here. It was everything from your virtual company to the downloadable guides in boot camp to your Get Ready for Nursing School podcast episodes. Also, I took your advice and watched funny internet videos before the exam instead of cramming and panicking. Thank you for creating and sharing Straight A Nursing. Cheryl, I give you all the credit. You're the one who took the time to go through boot camp, to sign up for study sesh, do the pod quizzes, and listen to this podcast. So I think you're pretty awesome, too. Okay, so today's topic is amniotic fluid embolism, sometimes referred to simply as AFE. And this is a life threatening condition in which there is a severe reaction to the amniotic fluid and fetal debris that's in that fluid that enters maternal circulation during the birthing process, resulting in cardiovascular collapse. So the pathophysiology of amniotic fluid embolism is not fully understood and used to be believed to be due to those amniotic contents blocking pulmonary circulation, kind of in the same way a blood clot would block pulmonary circulation in a pulmonary embolism. However, current researchers have hypothesized that it's actually due to the activation of the immune response, which leads to a cytokine storm and the release of procoagulation and vasoactive substances, much like you see in systemic inflammatory response syndrome. So this causes a lot of pathological, physiological responses, and these are increased pulmonary pressures, and that increased pulmonary pressure leads to increased pressure in the right ventricle, the right ventricle having to work harder, the right ventricle eventually failing. It also leads to left ventricular failure, a massive ventilation perfusion mismatch, pulmonary edema, respiratory failure, 
activation of the coagulation cascade resulting in DIC and ultimately hemorrhage, hemodynamic instability, end organ ischemia, and as you probably guessed by now, multi-organ failure. So who is most at risk for AFE and what's the prognosis? So according to the AFE Foundation, risk factors for the condition are difficult to determine. There's still a lot we don't know about this condition, but studies do show that potential risk factors are advanced maternal age, cesarean delivery, multiples, preeclampsia and eclampsia, placental abnormalities like placenta previa, placenta abruption, polyhydramnios, labor induction, meconium-stained amniotic fluid, and vaginal delivery using forceps or a vacuum device. So prior reports showed a mortality rate up to 99%, but newer reports and a more defined parameter for what actually constitutes AFE indicate a more accurate mortality rate of approximately 20%. However, it's important to note that the individuals who do survive, most of them have pretty significant neurological impairment due to the prolonged hypoxemia that occurs. And then additionally, when AFE occurs prior to delivery, mortality rates for the neonate are about 20 to 60% and neurological impairment exists in about half of those who survive. So now that you have a basic understanding of what AFE is, let's go through how to care for these patients using the straight nursing latte method. So L is for look. How does the patient look? So what you'll see with AFE is clinical manifestations have an abrupt onset either during delivery or within 30 minutes of delivery. I did see a couple of studies that said it can occur up to 48 hours after delivery. I believe most of the time, however, it's during or within 30 minutes. And signs and symptoms include sudden development of hypoxemic respiratory failure, severe hypotension, and cardiac arrest. This is what occurs in most patients. Other signs and symptoms are low oxygen saturation level with dyspnea and tachypnea, coarse or wet lung sounds due to that pulmonary edema, cyanosis, hemorrhage due to those clotting factors getting used up in DIC, a feeling of impending doom, and though not common, it could cause tonic-clonic seizures and stroke. Now, please be aware that not every patient who gets amniotic fluid embolism has a severe case. Some patients will not have the full-blown spectrum of signs and symptoms. And for those people, they have typically better outcomes. The next letter in the latte method is an A, and that is for assess. How are we going to assess this patient? We're going to do all those assessments that we do when anyone is in acute respiratory and cardiac distress. We're going to assess our ABCs, airway, breathing, and circulation. We want to have full sets of vital signs, especially blood pressure, heart rate, and oxygen saturation level. I would also add respiratory rate in there as well because they should be pretty tachypnic with that low oxygen saturation level. Hemodynamic monitoring may be utilized. An ECG 
would be conducted. Hopefully, the patient's just on continuous ECG monitoring, fetal heart rate monitoring, and then you're also assessing for signs of bleeding, which can occur essentially at any site of an invasive procedure, even just IV placement sites. It can occur in the uterus. It can occur at the surgical incision for that cesarean delivery. Now, blood can pool under the patient, so always do a thorough assessment, like turn the patient, look underneath them, look everywhere for signs of bleeding. And then the next letter in the latte method is a T. What tests will be ordered for amniotic fluid embolism? So a key test would be coagulation studies because DIC is one of those kind of key elements, a key abnormality in amniotic fluid embolism. So coagulation studies will show an elevated D-dimer. It will show low fibrinogen levels. It will show a prolonged pro-time and PTT and an increased INR. You'll also likely be drawing blood for a CBC. The hemoglobin and hematocrit probably going to be low due to hemorrhage. Platelets will be low due to depletion. In DIC, it's going to use up all the platelets. And then white blood cells may be elevated. Note, though, that white blood cells are normally elevated in pregnancy. They'll be elevated beyond that. And then type and screen because this patient will likely require blood products. So make sure they're type and screened. They're going to get things like platelets, cryoprecipitate, FFP, and packed red blood cells. An arterial blood gas would also be drawn. This is usually going to show hypoxemia and pretty significant hypercapnia. Now, if the patient has suffered a cardiac arrest or had prolonged hypotension, the ABG will show metabolic acidosis. You'd also conduct a 12-lead ECG. This would evaluate any cardiac dysrhythmias. And an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound of the heart, will typically show a reduced left ventricular ejection fraction due to the damage that the heart sustained in that cardiac arrest. And it would also probably show increased pulmonary pressures as well. And then the MD may order tests to rule out other causes for cardiopulmonary dysfunction. That could include liver function tests, electrolytes, BUN, creatinine, troponin I, BNP, and a chest X-ray. Note that many other conditions can mimic amniotic fluid embolism. These include hemorrhage secondary to uterine atony, placental abruption resulting in DIC, pulmonary embolism resulting in obstructive shock, air embolism, septic shock, anaphylactic shock, and cardiogenic shock. So the next letter in the latte method is the second T, and that is for treatments. So what treatments are going to be provided? So most patients with amniotic fluid embolism will experience cardiac arrest, which requires prompt ACLS protocols and CPR conducted at a rate of 100 beats per minute with full chest recoil and minimal interruptions. Now, while someone's doing the CPR, because this individual is pregnant and supine, that uterus is placing pressure on the vena cava, which reduces preload. So while CPR is ongoing, 
there is a person who is responsible for manually displacing the uterus, and that gets the uterus off that vena cava so that we can increase preload and ultimately improve cardiac output. Other interventions include emergent cesarean section, which may improve the chances of resuscitation in the mother and increase survival for the baby as well. Now, if no pulse is present after four minutes of CPR in the cases of cardiac arrest, a perimortem cesarean is conducted with a goal of having the baby delivered within five minutes of that arrest. As you can imagine, that happens incredibly quickly. Another intervention is to administer tranexamic acid for DIC, and this is usually administered as one gram given over 10 minutes intravenously. In cases of severe hemorrhage, you would administer fluids. You want to increase tissue perfusion. You want to increase preload, which will help increase cardiac output to improve tissue perfusion. But as soon as blood products are available, then you would switch from fluids to blood products. And in the cases of hemorrhage, you're giving packed red blood cells. Now, the patient may also be receiving platelets, FFP, and cryoprecipitate as needed. Now, the patient may not be hemorrhaging. The patient may simply be hypotensive. And in this patient, you would give fluid boluses. And you're going to be continuously monitoring this patient for signs of pulmonary edema. Medications that can improve blood pressure would be norepinephrine. This is a vasopressor that's going to cause the blood vessels to constrict and increase blood pressure in that way. Dobutamine or milrinone, these are inotropes that are going to help the heart contract more strongly. And then epiprostanol or sildenafil are pulmonary vasodilators to help reduce pulmonary pressures so that right ventricle can work more effectively and hopefully not go into right ventricular failure. You also want to maintain an oxygen saturation level greater than 94%. Most patients are going to require mechanical ventilation. ECMO could be considered in patients that do not respond to mechanical ventilation in the way that you expect them to, in cases where oxygenation is needed for fetal delivery, and in cases of prolonged cardiac arrest. And then intralipid, which is an intravenous fat emulsion, is currently being studied as a possible treatment in amniotic fluid embolism. Studies suggest it prevents and can even reverse pulmonary hypertension and the subsequent right ventricular failure that evolves. More work is being done in this area, and it's definitely something to keep an eye on if you're working in labor and delivery. So the final letter in the latte method is an E. How do you educate the patient and the family? So amniotic fluid embolism, as you can imagine, can be incredibly distressing and overwhelming to family members. If possible, assign someone to keep the family updated during the resuscitation attempt. You want to debrief the family after the event and consider having a hospital chaplain present if that's appropriate. What should have been something very happy, very joyous, can quickly become a time of intense grief and anger and sorrow and disbelief. Now, if the patient or the baby survive, teach the family of the risk for neurological impairment that will be irreversible. 
For patients who survive, assure them that they did not do anything to cause the amniotic fluid embolism to occur. And then for patients who would like to have another baby, successful pregnancy after AFE is possible. So that's good news. And the risk of AFE recurring is unknown as no recurrences have yet been reported as of today when I looked on up to date to verify that. You also want to provide information on support groups like the ones hosted by the AFE Foundation, and I'll put a link to that in the episode notes. Now, I give you just a brief overview of the DIC component for how we care for these patients and all the assessments. I actually have an entire podcast episode about DIC. So if you want to dive into that more deeply, go and check out episode 173. So there you have it. You have a quick overview of amniotic fluid embolism. So if this ever comes up for you, I really, really hope it doesn't, but you'll know what to expect and you'll understand what's going on with your patient. Hopefully you only ever see it in a case study or on an exam. So let's take a quick minute. I want to give you an update on some exciting things that are happening in straight A nursing world. So I know a lot of you have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the app to be developed and released. So the app, I am now in year five of development for this app. I had one developer who, it was not a great situation, four years and it was horrible. So I basically fired them and hired a new company last July. So they're almost finished with it. I'm expecting to get what I'm hoping is the final version. We've been having issues with login. Like you would not believe how hard it is to figure out login issues for an app. But hopefully that is all worked out and I get that final version in the next week or two. Then I just need to load in all the content and then it will be ready. So the app will be available. Really, really I am to have this done by the end of 2022. So you can keep an eye out for that. If you want to get an email when the app goes live, then I'll put a link in the episode notes so that you can sign up to be notified when that app goes live. Okay, so that is happening. And then I am currently revamping from top to bottom my Beyond Bootcamp program, which is Originally, I created it to supplement Crucial Concepts Bootcamp to kind of take things a little further. So Crucial Concepts Bootcamp teaches core foundation concepts, how to prepare for nursing school, strategies, tips, kind of teaching you how to be successful. And then Beyond Bootcamp dove into some key subjects from Med Surge, which is kind of like that first really intense nursing class that a lot of students have. Well, I decided it needed a facelift and a massive makeover and a lot of new lessons added. So that's another huge project that I have been working on, like a lot. So it's really when you see it, you're going to you're going to hopefully appreciate how much attention and time and energy and love that I put into it. So it will ultimately be about 60 some lessons and it will be done by the end of this year. I am just so committed to making that happen. It's a ton of work 
And it fills up basically every hour that I'm not at the hospital or recording and working on the podcast for you guys. But I'm super excited about it, and it's going to be fantastic. So that's going to actually have a name change. It's not going to be called Beyond Boot Camp anymore. It will be called Med Surge Solution. So if you want to get notified when Med Surge Solution is available, I'll put a link in the episode notes for that. And then once the app is done, once Med Surge Solution is done, I'm taking about a month off from maybe two months off from creating anything new. I'll still do the podcast, of course, but I just need some breathing room, right? I need some breathing room in my life. I need some breathing room just in general. So I'll be doing some breathing room space, which I highly recommend, and just doing some, what am I going to be doing? I'm going to cook. I'm going to do my filing. I have a big pile of filing. I'm going to maybe organize my closet. I don't even know, but I'm going to get stuff done around the house and in my life. And then I'm going to start on five-minute pharmacology. And that will be a program that teaches you pharmacology with every lesson, every concept taught in five minutes or less. So really excited about all the things that are happening. And if you want to get notified about pharmacology, I have a link to a a notification list for that as well. That one will take a little bit longer. The next things that you're going to see coming out new are going to be the Med Surge solution and the app. Fingers crossed for the app. So thanks again for hanging out with me today. And I look forward to seeing you back here next week where we'll be talking about blood transfusions, which will tie in nicely with today's episode where we talked about DIC and giving blood. We'll talk about blood transfusions, whether you're working as a nurse and you're unsure about giving blood or you're preparing for a blood transfusion checkoff. Come back here next week. We'll break that down. See you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. 